It's Friday, April 5th, and today I have one primary story to share with you. Parents and adults that might be around children, please be advised that we will have some explicit language in this episode. It's just during the introduction, but right after that, I promise you the rest of the episode is clean. Every now and then, some news comes across my desk, and I have to do a double take, maybe even a triple take, to make sure that I am fully understanding what I just saw. And today is one of those days. Buckle up. It's about to get crazy. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The Breakdown. Did you hear what I said a second ago when I said that we're about to have some explicit language in this episode? Well, the language is coming from me because what I'm about to share with you is fucking crazy. All right. I live in New York now. And when something is fucking crazy here in New York, we don't say it's kind of crazy. If it's fucking crazy, we say it's fucking crazy because fucking crazy is altogether different than really crazy. In fact, what I'm about to share with you is really fucking crazy. Okay, parents, teachers, and super sensitive adults, I promise you that everything from this point forward is clean, but I just needed to share with you the direction that we're about to go. All right, let's go. The break, the break, the break, the breakdown, breakdown. Do you remember when this happened? On May 17th of 2015, In Waco, Texas, at about noon, in the parking lot of the Twin Peaks restaurant, which is like a huge, dirty version of Hooters for Rednecks, hundreds and hundreds of men from two rival motorcycle clubs, the Cossacks and the Bandidos, which in spite of its Spanish name, the Bandidos are a predominantly white motorcycle club, two rival motorcycle clubs got into a huge fight in the parking lot of this restaurant in Waco, Texas. And the fight turned into a massive shootout. Do you remember this? Nine people were shot to death. Dozens more were injured. And 177 people were arrested. And I remember the day after this happened, I shared a rather infamous photo of these men. They They were just arrested, and they were calmly, coolly, just chilling on the sidewalks, talking to police after nine people were just shot to death. And of course, the shooting made the national news. Nine people were killed. And it has long since been believed that that fight first began when somebody got their foot run over in the parking lot. Now It was already tense, but when that happened, it took it to a whole nother level. The rival groups were there at the restaurant at a pre-announced meeting to negotiate some conflicts between the motorcycle clubs. 22 different local and state police officers were also there just to supervise the gathering. And when the confrontation in the parking lot started, at first it was just a few people. Then it grew from being a few people to a few dozen people. And the confrontation kept growing and growing until shots were fired. And when the first shots were fired, People ran in every direction possible. Literally, so many people piled into the restrooms that they were full to capacity, squashed like sardines. 
Then dozens of people piled into the kitchen of the restaurant, all trying to escape the gunfire. And after it was all said and done, nine men between the ages of 27 and 65 were shot to death. Over a dozen men suffered gunshot wounds. Over 300 weapons were recovered from the scene, ranging from handguns, an AK-47 assault rifle, brass knuckles, chains, clubs, batons, pocket knives, combat knives, and more. As I said earlier, 177 people were arrested. Security cameras filmed most of this. And there were 22 cops there on the scene from beginning to end. They saw the whole thing. And I don't know if you saw this, but if you missed it, guess what just happened? Earlier this week, prosecutors dropped all of the charges. Yeah, all of them. The murder charges, assault charges, weapons charges, everything. In total, prosecutors had filed nearly a thousand charges against the 177 people that they arrested, and every charge against every person has now been dismissed. Did you hear what I said? Nine people were shot to death. A dozen more men were shot. 300 weapons were recovered, including an AK-47, and all charges have been dropped, every last one of them. Now listen, as an advocate and activist for criminal justice reform, I am rarely one to argue for anybody getting more prison time, because the United States has already doled out more prison time than any country in the history of the world. But the notion that nine men were murdered a dozen more shot, 300 weapons were recovered, and 177 people arrested. But every single person who was charged, the notion that they will all walk free is fundamentally outrageous. And it sounds like white privilege. And just for a moment, let me break down what I mean in this instance. Break it down. Privilege is complicated to explain in part because it often functions in the form of invisible bias, and it always masquerades as if it's fair. But one of the greatest forms of white privilege in America, and to be clear, white privilege has many levels that I will not unpack right now, but one of the greatest forms of white privilege in America is freedom from consequence. Nobody in this country is held more responsible for every mistake, every infraction, every violation, every crime, whether you committed it or not, than African Americans. And one of the greatest forms of white privilege in the United States is freedom from the consequences of your mistakes. That's why over a hundred different studies have shown that African Americans and white Americans use illegal drugs at almost the exact same rate. But African Americans are nearly 900% more likely to go to jail for it. It's why study after study has shown that the average drug dealer in the United States is actually a middle-aged white man. But the stereotype of a drug dealer is as a young black man. Do you know why we have that stereotype? Because nearly every person arrested for selling drugs is young and black. And do you know why middle-aged black men aren't selling drugs? and middle-aged white men are? It's because black men are sent to prison for selling drugs 
before they ever get to be middle-aged. And white men continue to sell drugs into their golden years without the same interference or penalties or consequences. White privilege is why white men in America, without a college degree, who just got out of prison, are about as likely to be hired by most employers as black men with a college degree who've never been to prison. And that white man without a college degree who just got out of prison, he may not feel privileged because it operated invisibly for him in the form of freedom from the societal consequences of his actions. And that's so much what we've seen happen in this case in Waco, Texas. Earlier this week, my childhood friend from Versailles, Kentucky, a wonderful brother that I've known since kindergarten, visited me right here in Brooklyn after spending four and a half years in prison. Guess what he was in prison for? Selling weed. And he wasn't some high-level distributor. He wasn't caught with a gun or stolen property. And he had a full-time job. He was selling weed on the side and spent nearly 2,000 days in prison for it. And yet nine people were murdered in Waco, Texas. A dozen more shot, and all charges have been dropped. It happened right in front of the police. In Ohio, a black mother was sent to prison because she chose to send her child to a better elementary school, just one that was outside of her own school district. And she was homeless at the time. She just wanted a better education for her child, but got sent to prison for it. In Texas, another black mother is in prison right now for voting while being convicted of a felony. She voted in the presidential election with her own ID, her own name, and was told by poll workers that she could vote. She didn't double vote. It wasn't voter fraud. But because Texas has a law that strips people convicted of felonies of their right to vote, even after she served her time for a nonviolent offense, when she showed up to vote, it was unknowingly to her illegal for her to cast her ballot. And here she was actually trying to be an active citizen. And they sent her to prison for this in Texas. I am working with a man right now in Mississippi who is in prison for a DUI. He didn't hurt anyone. He wasn't in an accident. And you're not going to believe this. This man has been in prison for 20 years, 20 years for this DUI. And when I first saw his case, I didn't even believe it until I saw the materials for myself. I kid you not. We're working on this case behind the scenes right now. I know a man in Georgia who's in prison for murder. He's 35 years old. The murder happened when he was 13. You heard me correctly, 13. He's been in prison for 22 years. He literally went through puberty in prison. And the man has proclaimed his innocence for 22 straight years. Even if he did it, 22 years is long enough for a 13-year-old boy to serve time in prison for murder particularly when nine men got murdered in broad daylight right in front of the police and not a single person is going to do a single day in jail or prison because of it. 
that nobody is going to jail over this while we have over a million people incarcerated right now for nonviolent offenses that these men aren't going to jail in prison and we have children, fathers and mothers being incarcerated now in ICE detention centers, but these men aren't in prison is preposterous. Listen, I've got to run, but next week I'll be right back here talking about New York City's complete inability to hold the officer who killed Eric Garner accountable for any of his actions. I'll also give you an update on a potential hate crime that I'm tracking in Phoenix, Arizona that left a 10-year-old girl dead this past week. I've been asked to help in this case, and I'll be sure to tell you more about it next week. The, the, the Breakdown. Thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. I hope you enjoyed our very first week of the podcast. As I'm recording this, we are now listed, thanks to you, as the number one news and politics podcast in the world and the number four podcast overall across all categories. How cool is that? If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we'll be right back here every single weekday breaking down important news stories and issues. And we'd love for you to subscribe right here and share this with your friends and family. And we need you to subscribe to this podcast. And please, please, please leave your very best review and spread the word. Thank you, of course, so much to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. We love and appreciate each of you so very much. And if you love this podcast and you want to support our work or want to see the show notes and transcript for each episode, we'd love it if you too would consider becoming a founding member of our community. And you can do so at thenorthstar.com. Go to thenorthstar.com. There we not only have all of our podcasts, but hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars, writers, and thinkers in the world. Lastly, thank you again to our lead producer and podcasting director, Willis, for putting in the hard work to put out each and every episode. He leads a wonderful team of musicians and DJs and rappers and engineers who make all of the music and transitions for each and every episode. And we've gotten so much great feedback from you all about how much you love the music. And all of that music is original. It's great. We'll be right back here on Monday for the first episode of our second week of The Breakdown, and we'll see you then. Take care, everybody.